You're listening to the Down at Bellevue podcast, the number one Wakefield Trinity fan podcast talking all things Trim. Hello and uh, welcome back to another episode of uh, Down at Bellevue. This week, uh, it's it's just me and Danny from the from the regular, no Amy this week, but uh, we do have a great guest, it's uh, club chairman, um, John Minards. Uh, thanks for joining us and uh, how are you doing, John? I'm well, thanks uh, guys, thanks uh, very much for the invitation to be here. Uh, it's pleasure's all ours, really, I mean, <laughs> not often you get to speak to the owner of your club, really, so... <laughs> Our part owner, I guess. Um, yeah, part owner. Better yeah. say that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, Michael. We'll take it all, all credit away from you there. Um, first off, just a bit of a nice easy one that we ask everyone that comes on. Um, who's your sporting hero? Right. Well, I mean, we're on a rugby league podcast, a Wakefield Trinity podcast. So I'll, I'll come to Wakefield Trinity, I suppose. But if I was absolutely truthful when I was growing up... Um, one of my other sports that I loved and spent a lot of time watching was cricket. So I'm very much a Jeffrey Boycott man. Um, massive fan of Sir Jeffrey, and I grew up watching him play cricket. You know, yeah. greatest uh, greatest batsman in the world ever, at least in his own opinion. Um, but <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time at Edinley, Bradford, Sheffield, and other places uh, watching watching him play cricket. So th- that was that was true there. Um, in rugby league. Um, Go back in time. I mean, I can talk about a number of players if you as we as we go on. But yeah, sure. but, but, but the man of my era of starting to watch the game in the seventies and building up to the seventy nine final, uh, which I was so proud to be at, was of course David Topless, and uh, he was a he was an absolute icon of the club. Um, and that's kind of the man of my era. But but there are many others. But you asked me for one answer, I'm giving you two. So that's probably no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. I, I, do you know what? I thought you were going to mention a Luton player. For for those that don't know, John's, John's ah. a massive Luton Town fan, which uh, which surprised me because he's from Wakefield. Yeah, well, I can well and absolutely. I mean, I'll give you that story as well. Since you're uh, wearing a, a dirty Leeds top. Uh, <laughs> So, because you know, all kids, all lads, a lot of lads like football, don't they? And yeah. so, I'm growing up in Wakefield in the in the 60s and 70s, in the early 70s. Um, and I'll tell you, everybody in my class at junior school was a Leeds United fan. I would say, you know, I can't remember one who wasn't, except me. And maybe that's starting to tell you something about me as well. And for for reasons that I can't quite put my finger on, other than I do know my grandfather was an Arsenal fan, that I followed Arsenal in the 1970s. Um, and so the 71 Cup final was a great day. The 72 <laughs> Cup final, for those who know their history, wasn't such a great day. Hey, well, I, I, that's it. And, and, and the, Monday, the Monday after going back to school was a particularly bad day after <laughs> Alan Clark's goal in the 72 final. But <clears throat> so I love football. And um, so then, I, but I moved away from Wakefield, as we might touch on later. And I've lived down, down here in Hertfordshire for a an, good number of years. And I had a mate at, at work who I used to share an office with, and uh, he's a massive Luton Town fan. And he was born and bred Luton Hospital and so on. And every other Monday, he'd come in and tell me all about the game. And I'm interested in football, so, you know, I'd listen dutifully. But eventually, I got so fed up with listening to it. I said, you know, next week, I might come with you and, um, you know, save myself the bother of listening to you go on about it on a Monday. And he said, oh, you're very, very welcome. And that was 25, 26 years ago. And I've been a season ticket holder there almost ever since through living down here. So... So my my uh, football team by adoption is is Luton Town, and and there are parallels between yeah. Luton Town and the type of club it's had and the the times it's been through, and Wakefield Trinity, which yeah. you know we might get onto as well. It's it's a bit of a strange thing. I'm uh, I'm a believer in sporting the underdog in many ways. 
Yeah, I mean, Kenilworth Road is, um, isn't the nicest of places like, like Bellevue, really, is it? So, yep, yep. Um, I mean, you've uh, how did you first sort of get into rugby league? I know you mentioned it, that you born and bred in Wakefield, and, and yep. most kids that are do get into rugby league, but what, what was it for yourself? Well, well, I guess it was, you know, being born in Wakefield, uh, grew up, went to school in Wakefield, so I was in Wakefield till I was about 18. Um my first game at Bellevue, I was taken, was in about 1973. Well, I know exactly when it was. I've got a programme somewhere. And um, I was taken, I had a mate at school, and in, um, his granddad was a vice president or, you know, whatever, had a season ticket in the in the East Stand. You know, it's just the same. And I remember that he took us one night, and it was a it was a winter's night, as it would be in those days, and under the floodlights, which looked very impressive at that time. Not these floodlights. No. Never mind the ones that were about to get new ones, not these ones, but the ones before that for the floodlights. Yeah. But it was, you know, to see a game under lights was really impressive. And I've, I've got this vision of, uh, this memory of a vision of, uh, of Neil Fox, who was back at Wakefield for a, la- a spell later in his career. And I think he was possibly player coach, or he was rather, but he was on the bench. And in those days of two subs, I remember this player coming on with a bright, in his, in his white shirt, with the red and blue, and the, a big number 15 on his back. And, you know, being nudged and told, that's Neil Fox, that's the great Neil Fox. So I'm, I'm proud to say I watched Neil play once. Um, yeah. and, and an interesting fact, from, from which I remember as well from that game, and I confirmed it in the programme and with the man himself, that um, the person wearing the number nine that evening for Wakefield, the player playing hooker, as it used to be in those days, was none other than Gary Hetherington, who was the, <laughs> uh, who was the chief executive lead. Um, <laughs> Who I now have the pleasure of seeing in boardrooms, you know, around uh, around the Super League table and so on. But Gary was a was a Wakefield player at the time and uh, was was playing hooker that night. So, uh, and I suspect David Topless was playing as well if he wasn't injured. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was uh, so. That's how I got into it. And then, I suppose I probably went to the odd game thereafter, but probably more the mid 70s, 76, 77. Uh, I had a mate at school who who was going down from time to time, and I went with him. And then. You just got you get hooked with it, don't you? And I got the yeah. bug, and, and I could walk to the ground. I lived up up in Sandal, and so you know, 15 minutes to walk down there on a Sunday afternoon, as it typically was, 3:30 kickoff, um, and it became a real habit. And it became a habit that became home, not just home games, but home and away. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was on the bus, on the supporters' bus, going to places like Workington and uh, and Blackpool, and yeah. as well as St Helens and York and all all other places. And it was it was a great time. Yeah, I mean, I think me and Dan are probably the age where we're lucky slash unlucky enough to like not have been to some of them grounds. The, the yes, you know, yes. Your, your Carlisles and, and Workingtons. I mean, we've... I'm always looking. Yeah. For, I'm always looking for a trip to a Cumbria in Challenge Cup. That's the say, come on, away at Cumbria, <laughs> just just for a nice long drive out, <laughs> having a away day. No, so, it was a new, a new it ground, was... a different environment, but yeah, it, <laughs> it was always great. I remember. It, I remember Workington being really cold once, Whitehaven being almost underwater, and we were, and it was, it was flooded. And I, my memory tells me that Terry Crook took a kick at goal and he couldn't get it out of the water. You know, he couldn't put it down. There weren't kicking tees and so on. And uh, I'm sure uh, TC was was playing that day and he was the goal kicker. And it was just in in mud. And I remember going to Barrow as well. But um, I do remember going one day. And I'm sure I'm right. We got as far as Keswick in the Lake District. We're on the way to Workington at Whitehaven, um, and we we stopped for a you know an appropriate uh, comfort break in in Keswick. In because those are the days without lots of motorways and, and big dual mm-hmm. carriageways. And we all got off the bus and we got back on the bus to be told actually the game's off. Um, so we had to go. We go in all the way back again on the bus. 
Um, yeah. I, I think I'm right in saying that. So, you know, sometimes it wasn't all glamour going to these places, you know. No. <laughs> I think the worst one I've been to this sport 10, 15 years ago was Charlie away in Challenge Cup. Oh. I think it were, I think it were, it might I think it, were, it might be a Friday night and it yeah. was absolutely ham it down with snow. And I think Jay Rooney scored like the most points we've ever scored yeah. in a game, like thirty two. I think we absolutely hammered him. Yeah, that sounds like a record, record. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I tell, I, I tell <laughs> you what, I've, I've, I've got the record somewhere. Uh, let me just see if I've got it here. Yeah, thirty six points yeah. against Charlie. Wow. Thirty six. That's wow. the club record for most in a game, Jamie Rooney. Yeah, I like that game. <laughs> An interesting one. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? These 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 uh, strange games, you know, that that we've yeah. all sort of seen bits and bits, seen variously. I mean, I never went to Chorley because they were a team that sort of came and they were the old Blackpool team, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I did go to Blackpool once, and, yeah. and the pitch was actually of, you know, it seemed to be, and my recollection is the pitch was made of sand. I mean, not that it was on the beach, but did they play at Bloomfield Road? Because I know that that one's not exactly the nicest in terms of pitches. I think that's mostly uh, made of sand, isn't it? I think they might have done later, but when I went, it was a different ground. It was ah. a very small ground sort of thing. Ah, right, um, fair enough. Yeah, um, Bloom, yeah. I mean, we covered quite a little bit of that in terms of growing up watching Wakefield. Um, you, you've told me and, and Dan off off the recording that you that you left at Wakefield at eighteen and, and moved mm. down south. You've lived a bit of an interesting life, really. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> I don't know about that, guys. I, <laughs> you, you live the life you live. I, yeah. I'm, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it and so far, and, um, <laughs> and you know, it's not, it sounds like I'm at the end of it. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and it's been interesting. I mean the. So, to rugby league was a big part of my life watching Wakefield up until up until eighteen, and then into university days as well, because you'd come, you'd have pretty generous holidays, and you'd come back and, and watch games. So we were, so, so the, I mean, the Wakefield story and all that was, you know, there was a great time in the '79 final, and we had a, we had a great side around the turn of '79 80, and, and that was superb. Watching, you know, players like as well as top list players like Bill Ashurst, who was one of the most gifted players I've ever seen. We had centres like Keith Smith and Steve Diamond, with Brian Julie on the on the left wing, and uh, and Andy Fletcher, who was there for a long time on the other wing. I mean, I could go through Trevor Skerritt, who I saw his birthday was the other day, was a, a colossus in the team. So they were great days, and, and and I watched the team a lot, even as I say when I was away at university. But eventually, I then moved uh, when I left university. So we're in the mid '80s now. I went to work in uh, in London uh, and training as a chartered accountant uh, with one of the big firms there. Um, and it became more difficult to, to, to come back uh, and watch Wakefield. Although I do remember talking about exotic grounds. I went to see them at South End once. South End in Victor were a team that had been the old, there was a team that formed in Maidstone in Kent and then that folded and they moved to yeah. South End. And I think it was about one season. And we were in the second division then. I'm, I must be late 80s, I'm talking now. Yeah. We need Lee Robinson, obviously, with us, but it was about <laughs> that time. And uh, so so I would get to see Wakefield if they played in London, and I'd get to come back and you know stay with my mum and dad when they were around, and uh, they still lived in Wakefield, you know, the rest of their lives. So I would get back from time to time, uh, but it became more difficult. Um, I'd kept in touch with Rugby League because I played a little bit of the game at, at university at Cambridge, and uh, I played really badly. You know, enthusiastically but badly. But don't ask me questions about my playing career. It's, uh, it's, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great, uh, wasn't illustrious. It wasn't an illustrious career. But I always kept involved in the game and you know loved the game because it's just it's such a great. We all know it's such a great game. Everybody listening to this will, will agree with that. Um, so I was in London for three, four years, um, and you, you spend that time qualifying as a as a chartered accountant, which is was my professional qualification. Uh, and then you come to a point where you decide, well. 
do I stay where I am working for this firm of chartered accountants or do I get a job in industry working as an accountant or whatever? You know, I think, as I'm describing this, I remember you said it was interesting. But anyway, um, <laughs> here I am as the chartered accountant. And, and you get to that point in your life where you say, do I move away or do I stay where I am? And I stayed with the firm. Uh, they owned a new office in Hertfordshire in St. Albans, um, which was a, a new opportunity to get into. And I sort of made my way with that firm up ultimately became a partner in the firm um, in the late 90s and then spent another 25 years um, you know doing that you know being a partner in one of the, the large accounting practices in the world and and what was interesting about what became interesting about that for me was it gave me a bit of a license to travel um, and you know meet lots of different people working with different clients and uh, you know working with companies like EasyJet or ASOS, I mean, picking out ones that are, you know, in the public eye today, but, you know, other ones going back through the years as well. And I was lucky enough to spend um, six months of the career in, in the States, in New York, in the mid-90s, yeah. uh, which was just a glorious time watching, uh, spending time living in, uh, in New York City. Um, and that was great fun. Um, I moved around the country a little bit in, with the firm. I worked in the Midlands for a while. I was one of the leaders of our practice in Midlands, based in Birmingham. Um, and then towards the end of right towards the end of my career, actually, I had a spell in the Leeds office as well. Um, and back and then into London a lot of the time during that time as well. And but the, the job itself gave me trips around the world, whether it was to India or Australia or um, all over Europe and uh, various parts of North America as well, including you know, the West Coast as well as the as, as well as New York and so on. So uh, um, but I always retained an interest in, in, in the sport and in rugby league. And as I say, if I was. If Wakefield were playing in London or somewhere, you know, somewhere down south, I'd be at that game. I've got, I've seen Wakefield play at Fulham, at Chiswick Polytechnic, at Charlton Athletics Ground, at Brentford, at Harlequins, at Barnet, at Hendon, um, and uh, where are they now? I've forgotten where they are now. Oh, they're, oh, they're now over in Ealing, of course, Ealing. Yeah, Ealing, yeah. Yeah, and obviously I've been there as well. <laughs> so, so that was that's always been thinking. I tried to get back, and even. You know, when I hadn't got any family in Wakefield, I've still got mates, you know, who were around and about. And um, but even just sometimes on my own, I would on a Sunday <laughs> sound like a lonely guy now. But I'd get in the car and I'd drive the 170 miles up and, and back again if I was doing, you know, nothing else. Um, and that's a long way to go, but just to see yeah. a game, particularly when you've lost. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd leave the ground just a little bit early. if we were losing and we'd lost badly. I'd leave a little bit early dash down the back of the Western Terrace, down that little, um, and I'd park yeah. my car somewhere on Agbrig Road or around there, jump in the car and away back to the M1 and uh, <laughs> to get away before it all got really busy, you know? Um, so I wasn't stuck in traffic in the first bit of the journey. Switch on Radio Leeds to listen to the post-match interviews and hang on for them to cover the Wakefield game when I got to about Sheffield, when I lost the signal and, uh, and away <laughs> I went. And I'd, I'd then spend the next hour, hour and a half thinking, driving down a, a, you know, a motorway in the dark thinking, why have I just done that? <laughs> I think, do you know what? Like, I probably won't say I've gone 100 and odd miles to do it, but I've definitely done 20 or 30 miles to get back to watch a Wakefield game when they've been battered 40 nil or something. Mm. So I feel your pain on that one. Um, sort of going back to the rugby side of things, uh, you, you've already spoke that you went to the 79 Cup final. Unfortunately, that's one that Wakefield didn't win. What do you think it would mean to like get to another Challenge Cup final for the club? Well, I, th I think it'd be unbelievable, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, we we know it's a it's something that's now got after Salford's success. Um, we know that it's something that will continue to be thrown at us for a while. 
um, that were the only team not to have been there in the Super League leader into a major final. Although I'm not sure whether Lee changes the dial on that, but I'd rather not think about comparing us to Lee um, yeah. uh, at, at several levels. But you know, there we are. But yeah, we it would be so good if we could do that. You know, we've yeah. we've had a couple of semis, haven't we, um, in the cup yeah. since then? The one at Warrington where we were never. Never I'm, in the I'm, game. I tell you what, I'm still not over Matt Peterson in that whole game against Doncaster. Right. I'm still not over that. <laughs> Thirteen yeah. years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, my memory of that was it was a poorly not. I was up for that. I could. I drove up south from that for that as well. I think, and yeah. you know, parked a miles away, and it was a boiling hot day, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. And Sands, we were in, Sands were no top on. It was it was incredible. That, yeah, and I was down <laughs> towards the front, and it was boiling hot. You know, the sun, and they scored tries in that opposite corner. Mm. It was about you know and they scored they, they were eighteen nil in ten minutes weren't they or something yeah. yeah they were they were all down they were all down Matt Peterson's side I mean not trying to call him out or anything but no, he didn't I, have to... I think I, <laughs> from where I was sat in the opposite corner on the lower tier there was there was a knock on or two and probably yeah. an offside from those kicks I think but yeah. um, nah, and it was and it, I don't know it was a whole because we had a real chance we had a good team those days didn't yeah, we? when yeah, was that yeah. 04 was it something like that uh, 08 so it was, 08, it was so yeah it was Blanche and Blair Meyer uh, yeah. Dimitriou uh, yeah, you know like, all my heroes growing up really yeah a great side and we, we could have done it and Hull weren't a great side they were, they were, no. they were good but and just um, David Topless had died earlier that week hadn't he or the mm. week of the month yeah, and, it's a bit of a bit mm. of a tough year that year I think it, it was, was, it was, was I just, a I remember there was a real sort of just a down about it because we were out of the game so quickly. Well, we came back, but we were never, never really in it. Yeah. yeah one, I mean... one thing I would add to that is this year when Catalan beat us, not us out of cup, I was almost a bit relieved because my mm. worst nightmare was that we got there and we couldn't go. Like, I really yes. felt for those Sulphur fans that couldn't be, you know, the teams got to win for the first time in probably a lot of fans since they've been alive and they, they can't be there to see it. And that, that would have my heart out thinking, is this the one chance we've got there? And, you know, how long is it going to be again? So, yeah, yeah, yeah but I would right, quite happy to see us lose that. <laughs> Tell you what, though, they did get the grand final, though, last year. That they got they to did. Go to, so. <laughs> They've had their moment. They can... No, <laughs> it was, it was uh, you're right, it was exa- all of that. I mean, there were several things there, weren't there? I mean, we said, as soon as the, the crowds had gone, you know, there were no crowds and it was all looking terrible, wasn't it? Um, Michael and I said, well, we're nailed on to get to the final now. You know, <laughs> this will be our year, won't it? Because we can't get, you know, clearly we can't go. Yeah. But it wasn't to be. But, you know, again, that whole turn, didn't it? I mean, it's about a year ago now. We, It's almost exactly a year since we beat yeah. Bradford. Um, the last game yeah. at Bellevue with, with anybody there. <clears throat> and um, that was all set because we we got Featherston in the next round. And we're, you know, well, we're dead confident about that, aren't we? Featherston at home, I think. Yeah, and, I think yeah, it yeah. was. And, yeah. and that was getting us to the last eight, I think. And then, and then, you know, there we are. We're almost there. And I, I, I take, but this before, I mean, before the, the curtain came down on COVID. And um, so I was feeling really good. And then, and then there was a redraw. What was that? Yeah, about? what was, yeah, I was going to ask you that, actually. What was your thoughts as, like, administrators on that? Because we were all sitting, I mean, we spoke about it um, a few months ago saying, well, why why are they redrawing Wakefield and inst- like and and do you know what I said to Dan? I said at the time, uh, I bet it's Wigan, Leeds, mm. St Helens, and uh, mm. Warrington that get the buys, and, and look what happened. It were all four of them that got the buys. And... <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. I mean, we didn't. I mean, I wasn't close. We're not close to that at all. I mean, that's all taken decisions taken by the RFL mm. um, in, in in good faith and you know for the right reasons. That, you know, I'm not. Uh, you know, I wouldn't officially or unofficially criticise it, but it was <laughs> just was one of them things. And I tell you, I was at the I was at the game, so I've been lucky last year. I was able to go to the games, such as I you know if I could for other reasons. And so a real privilege to be there. Although 
pretty naff there with nobody in the stadium. You know, I mean, I don't expect, you know, I know we were really lucky to be there at all. Anyway, so there we are at Huddersfield watching a pretty poor performance against Catalan, if I'm honest. Was that after the league game or before? I can't remember which way around it was. It was, it was after the league game because it was... It wasn't. Yeah. So it was, it, it was better than the league game, which is yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. They, yeah. yeah, they started well, didn't they, for the first 20 minutes and then yeah. it just all and came off the rails. We had a dig and then it, yeah. So anyway, we saw the game and we lost and there was, I mean, it was the one where Jay Pitts absolutely turned up as he does. And yeah. um, that, that was a good moment. You, you know the moment I'm talking about when, yeah, was, yeah. when there was bloodshed and that was. Uh, <laughs> so so we, we were, I mean, you wouldn't have heard us on the TV, but we were quite vocal at that point, those of us, well, at least I was anyway. <laughs> so, so we had that game and we lost. We lost to the better side. They got superb halfbacks on the day and the big lads, Catalan. And I turned and Ralph Rimmer was sitting behind me. And Ralph, Ralph's a good guy. He's the chief executive, you know, of RFL. And he was sat just socially distanced, but behind me in, in a way. And uh, sort of turned and sort of, you know, shrugged at Ralph and said, well, there you go, sort of thing. He said, no, you know, unlucky sort of thing, you know, bad luck sort of thing. I said, I said you know what, Ralph? I said, Featherston were better than I thought they were going to be, you know? <laughs> And, and, he, and he went, Featherston? And I went, yeah, Featherston, you know, gesturing out onto the pitch. And he went, oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very funny sort of thing. Because I thought, you know, bloody hell, this should have been Featherston, not bloody Catalan. <laughs> and, um, you know, those with drink water, you know, the halfbacks and uh, Maloney. Yeah. yeah, I think Dane Chisholm is a bit of a different player to uh, Josh Drinkwater <laughs> and, and James yeah. Maloney. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not one to diss Featherston, obviously. No, no, I am, so, though. Although I have... Um, <laughs> I did. I did shed a bit of blood myself at Featherston once, and that wasn't on the field. But that's a, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a fighting few. Amy's Amy's boyfriend's a Featherston fan actually, so we have to normally limit what we're going to say about them, don't we, Dan? But yeah, that, that's, um, a, that's a story from 1978, which I'm not going to take you to. But yeah, <laughs> Bill, Asher's get... de- Bill Asher's debut at, at Featherston. Yeah. We lost by a point, um, <laughs> and there was uh, there was some bad feeling afterwards. Uh, they're always as if they don't win. Um, I don't think they've changed since then. No, honest. no, we didn't win. We lost by a point. No, that's what I mean. That's yeah. Oh, we lost. Oh, yeah. sorry. But, 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 but I think you're right. There's always bad feeling. Yeah. There's it's always just bad we haven't played much recently. Yeah. Well, yeah. And to be honest, they keep all their hatred for Cass at the minute, so we yeah. kind of can yeah. get away with it a little bit. Um, so going back to sorry, the we, 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 Yeah, we went off the point there, didn't we? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, go oh, semi-finals. The... Go to yeah. Wembley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be unbelievable, guys. I mean, yeah. the pride I would have that we would all have of seeing us at least at Wembley. And that's why seventy-nine isn't a bad memory for me. I know we yeah. lost and so on, but it was quite a tight game, twelve-three, and it was just the whole experience of going down. I mean, times change, and it would be different now, wouldn't it? And it's a different Wembley, but it was just such a fantastic day that literally the whole city seemed to have turned out. You know, yeah. going down on the M1, all the cars. I've got Wakefield colours and the buses and then the witness cars and buses joined in from the M6 further south and it was um, in the Wembley Way and all that sort of stuff going up to the game. It was, yeah. I mean, it, I probably romanticise it more looking back, but it was a it, it was a great break from O-level revision or GCSE revision <laughs> these days. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, in terms of now then, so you've been involved in the club for a couple yeah. of years now. How, how did that come about really? Okay, so, so so this is so the story of how I got involved at this sort of level. So so I follow the club on and off over the years, um, you know, and I and I come up and see some great games, which we might touch on later on as well. Um, and I'm probably coming up about six times a year because I'm still as obsessed with you know Wakefield and Wakefield Trinity, even though I've no relations up here, no reason. I'm probably coming about six times, so I'm keeping in touch. And this is 2014, 
pre-season and I read on the website, there's a bit of an SOS. We've got a problem with the crash barriers on the North Stand and it's the, the ground it's about to be you know, condemned and we're going to have to not let supporters in and so on. Uh, does anybody know anything about mending cash, crash barriers? It's going to cost about 40 grand or something. I don't know. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about uh, mending crash barriers, but I do know I've got a little bit of money that I've had a little bit of windfall and um, you know, I'd be happy to invest a bit of money to help the club out to, you know, if we can, if we don't have to close the North Stand, we can get more people in and the club can make more money. It'll cost us money by you know, having to close part of the ground. That was the thing. So I picked up the phone to the club and said, you know, who do I speak to? And uh, this lady said, well, uh, I'll speak, uh, speak to the chairman, Michael Carter, quite recently, you know, installed chairman. And um, here's the chairman's number. Give him a call. I now know the lady I was speaking to was the, the Mrs. Carter of today, but anyway, that was Tracy who answered the phone. So I rang Michael, never spoke to him in my life before, didn't know who he was other than he was her name. And he said, oh, well, you know, always interested in people who want to help, you know, as he, as he would do today, you know, thinking, you know, this will be a bit of a red herring, this will be a bit of a joke. And if somebody rang us up today and said, I've got some money I'd like to invest, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd cut the phone and stop laughing and come back to him sort of thing, you know, why would you? Anyway, he said, well, you know, why don't we meet after a game? So I came up for an evening game. It was a Bradford game um, one evening. I got delayed, so I couldn't meet him before the game because the trains were late and it's coming up from the south. And um, anyway, long story short, I met him in the Cats Bar afterwards, or, or sorry, the Rolling Shack afterwards, Cats Bar as it was. And um, and I think we'd lost probably. Um, and he said, oh, is this, is this you? Are you John? I said, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we got talking. And long story short, I invested modestly in, in the club. I took a few shares. Um, and that was 2014, so I was, you know, I was then sort of closer to the inner sanctum, if you like, but, but quite a minor share, less than 10%. Um, and, uh, you know, would come perhaps to about 10 games a season. Um, I absolutely continued to be bitten by the bug. We had, I didn't come to the million pound game um, because in that little playoff series that led to the million pound game, if you remember how it used to work, <clears throat> I'd been to about three of the games and we'd lost them all. <laughs> And we'd won the other three, or whatever it was, you know, four. Mm. I'd been to Sheffield, to that dreadful game at Bramall Lane. I, I went lost. to that as well. Yeah. Um, and then, so I'd been to the games we'd lost, and I'd been to none of the games we'd won. We won at Lee with a drop goal, didn't we? I didn't, I didn't yeah, go to that. Yeah, yeah. So I said at the final, I said, you know what? This is stupid, but I'm not coming, because if I come, we'll lose. So I didn't go. So I followed <laughs> it on Twitter. And it was just, you couldn't watch it that way. I was away, I was out. Followed it on Twitter. So I didn't go to that. Anyway, fast forward to 20... Um, 18, I guess. Um, there was a, you know, a change in shareholding. Chris wanted to, to sell up, and I was in a position to to buy in. So that's when I took a lot more of the shares. Uh, Michael and I own the same amount. Um, John and Roger own a few as well. So that's how it works. I mean, Michael and I have got just south of 90% between us. You know, I mean, this is a matter of public record. It's not a big secret that yeah. we we sort of control the club between the two of us. But we've got John Allen and Roger Lambert. We've got shares as well. Um, and um, anyway, I, I came in at that point and I said, you know, I'm still working at this stage. I'm still working with PwC. Um, but I said I could do a non-executive chairman role if you wanted to be chief exec and I can be there as a sort of sounding board, you know, because I can't be there day in, day out like you've been used to with Chris and different arrangement. And he said, yeah, that would work. So, you know, Michael continued to do everything he did before and still does, you know, runs the place. And I'm there as the non-exec chairman. So... That's how I got involved in 2018, and that's what, right. like two years ago now, over two years. Yeah, yeah. 
quite a I, lot. I, I love that. I think because because as you've always said, growing up as a kid in Wakefield, going to the games, things like that. I think when and we spoke to James Batch last night. I think when you when you grow up watching the club, you've already got that sort of that, that fire in your belly that you want it to do well. Whereas, you know, you see some Australians not not to, not specifically to Wakefield, but come over and you know you can get you kind of think are they for a paycheck? Are they for the money? But I think the fact you've actually come up watching the club, it, it shows that you've got the best interest for the club always at the forefront of your mind. And I, I yeah, love that. Yeah, and, and I think that's worth stopping and just reflecting on, actually, Daddy. You raise yeah. a good point, because, uh, again, we, we talked earlier about my, foot, my adopted football team, Luton Town, right? And my mates who follow Luton won't be listening to this, right? So, <laughs> and, and I love I love watching Luton, you know, and I shout and I cheer and I swear and I, you know, get really up for it. And we've been down to the conference for five years, and back up to the championship in that 25 years, you talk about a roller coaster. Um, and it's great. And I get really passionate and wound up about it, you know, really tense. But even, you know, when watching that, that's one thing. But watching Wakefield, it's really tense. And it always has been. Even when I was you know, watching five, six games a season, you know, you get a real feeling here, you know, you know what I mean. And yeah. and, and you really care about it. And, you, and you, you're on the edge, you're clenching your fists as the game's going on. It's like, there's something about, for me anyway, there's something about where, I, where I'm from. And, and what I've always identified, and it's a lifetime thing, which I know can sound all a bit strange, but it it, yeah. it really does get you. And so the chance to be involved at, as a, at an ownership and chairman level um, is actually a great privilege for me because I can put something back. Um, yeah. I get something out of it. Don't get me wrong, you know, and I, and and so on. Um, but if we can do this stadium thing, yeah, if we can rebuild this stadium or start rebuilding the stadium. Even, you know, would be would be a good thing. Something that's been talked about for 50 years and more, yeah. as long as I can remember, have been involved. You know, the, the stadium was fit for purpose in the 60s, probably, when they were the great days, probably. I think you know, it was probably it out of date then. It had cover <laughs> on both sides and, you know, and there was, there was a stats cover on three sides. There was cover at the yeah. south stand, you know, and that's how where I used to stand. It's, it, nothing has gone forward since then. We built the Rolling Shack thing in the early 80s, I think. But since then, nothing has happened positively. New, new floodlights yeah. in, nine, in the early 90s. Um, nothing. Um, so if we could turn that around, um, and we're intending to, we're absolutely intending to, yeah. it would be a fantastic thing to have done, to, to have been involved doing. You know, it's not my yeah. doing, it's not Michael's doing, it's a big collective effort. But to have, you know, had the privilege of being chairman while that happens would, would be great because that would be giving something back and something for the, you know, to secure the future and the sustainability of the club going forward. Just- just going back to what Danny was saying about we were talking at a bachelor last night. I, I started yeah. asking for you. Um, he says he wants <laughs> he says he wants a new deal and he says oh, he yeah. wants an extra thirty grand a year. Uh, and he says if I can pull it off, I'm his agent. So I, I thought I'd just put that to you now. Well, and, uh... I, he's, if he changes his agent first, he might get the deal. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can tell him back. I mean, don't, don't draw me because I don't I don't deal with the agents no. and all that. So don't draw me into it. But if Mr. Carter was here, you might have just set him off at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Batch is probably going to be really annoyed at me now. But, um... No, I mean, Batch is, uh, you know, I mean, it's great. It's people like Batch, um, lads like that who've come through, grown up with, you know, and Geordie and yeah. Max and these people who've come through, the, you know, they're, they're great lads. And, you know, it's so good. I mean, we, and it's a necessity. We have to bring lads like that through because we yeah. ain't got the, the budget to go and buy the marquee players. Um, you know, like Greg Inglis or whoever, we've got to bring our own lads through. <clears throat> you know, we used to think we had that money when we signed Wally Lewis and 
Ray Price and people like that. But I don't think we ever did really. Um, thought it was special, special circumstances. So we have to grow these lads through. But it's it's so rewarding to see them come through, and we really want them to. Um, we really want them to, to succeed. Uh, yeah. The challenge with us, for us, and it always has, this same principle has always existed and goes back to when I first started watching. You know, a club like ours brings players through, but we can't offer them the, the, the big, big wages that they can earn elsewhere in the bigger clubs, who are bigger clubs in the sense of bigger budgets, bigger crowds, bigger sponsorship deals, owners with lots of money. So it's something like Gareth Ellis. I mean, I don't know the story between Gareth Ellis, but behind Gareth Ellis, you know, he was a great lad for us, great player. He went on to do even greater things at Hull, didn't he? And Leeds. And often it was Leeds, and maybe still is, (laughs) um, that they would, you know, we'd develop a player and off they'd go. You know, even David Topless, Topo went, he went to Hull toward, not right at the end of his career, you know, in 1981, something like that, 82, and he went and and he won silverware, man of the match again, I think, in the the game when Hull won the cup. So, yeah, and you you always wish him well. You always wish him well to go on and to you know, Nigel Wright um, might be your era or before. You know, a very just, talented. Just a bit before, I think he was. Yeah, another, I think he was very talented. Six we had. You know, he went to Wigan, didn't he? Yeah. Um, it's it, it's so it, it so when we get lads who stay and go all the way through, like Kermo, you know, people who go through a whole career with the club. It's we regard ourselves as fortunate. And um, but but I, I you know it's great being a one club person. I think isn't it? You know. So, yeah, exactly. Must yeah. be great it's for been, them as well. Well, yeah, I, th- I think we're speaking to Batch as well. Like you get, you do get a bit of a sense of, of a love for the club as well. I mean, right. we spoke, we spoke with uh, T and uh, Danny Washbrook over the last couple of weeks, and, and they they enjoyed, they really enjoyed their time at the club, and, and T still is enjoying his time at the yeah. club. I should probably say that. Yeah. Um, but you, you do get the sense that it's it's not their club like you do with Batch, and and them sort of players are probably crucial. I'd love Batch to go on and have the rest of his career with us, if it's yeah. possible, and and be captain. Like He's, yeah. he's the sort yeah. of kid that I'd love to see that happen to. Um, sort of going back to uh, your, your time so far at Wakefield, what's, what's sort of like an average day when you're around the club? Well, there are not that many, and certainly recently, I'm trying to think back to a day that I was around the club. I mean, I'm speaking to you tonight, um, I know this is going out much later, but um, I'm actually visiting Wakefield for the first time in three months tomorrow. Um, so I'm not around the club as much as I would like. When I was working full-time, uh, which and I retired from that job in June last year, um, clearly I wasn't around the club very much, and so it was more... Um, restricted to being on the phone and it has been obviously a phone and zoom and teams calls and so on since yeah. i guess most of my involvement is probably speaking to michael i mean michael and i i would say speak almost every day um you know sometimes just for 15 minutes and that might be a minimum sometimes we're in a meeting together you know speaking or or we're on the phone for a long time you know um uh, we do speak every day about some aspect of the club it could be players it could be the ground, um, the, the redevelopment. It could be the foundation, something happening there. We've got a meeting tomorrow on that. Uh, it could be something to do with Super League. It could be to do with money, um, budget, and, uh, and how we're doing. It, obviously, all these COVID-related stuff, you know, we're making all the applications for furlough and all these different things that we've had to do to, to keep the thing afloat. So most of my involvement is taking, you know, at random times, taking phone calls from Michael. Um, yeah. Going forward... Um, I'm, I'm actually relocating, so I'm buying buying a property. I'll buy another property in Wakefield, um, hopefully uh, in the next month or so. So I've been busy sorting that out as well. 
um, and I'll be spending more time uh, up in Wakefield. But, yeah. So not all the time. My, my kids are at school down here, so you know, I'm going to be sort of splitting my time a little bit, which is what I'm quite used to with the life that I've led so far. I'm always moving around a bit, but uh, so I think I'll be on more more around, um, popping in, you know, most days in some shape or form. But um, you know, Michael has always said. When I said I might have some more time to spend, he said, well, there's always something to do, you know, and that yeah. might be, you know, painting the changing rooms or, you know, literally, or you know, that's what we, there's just been a refurb of the home changing room going on, which I, which obviously with COVID, I couldn't go up and do, you know, but, uh, but Roger's been doing a lot of that work, work there with Graham Teal and, and some of the other volunteers and so on. Um, so there's always stuff to be doing, uh, but most of my involvement is either talking to Michael acting as a sounding board for him, you know, so I think he finds it, I think he finds it useful to have somebody to, to chat to over stuff. And I'm on, I'm on call most of the time to be able to do that. Or a lot of meetings to do with the stadium, you know, people say, well, we haven't seen much progress, I'm sure at the moment, you know, not <laughs> physical, but I'll tell you it's, and I've not done this before. I've never, you know, developed a stadium before, I'll say yeah. that honestly, but uh, there's a heck of a lot that goes into the pre-planning for it. And strangely, Luton Town, of course, are going through the same thing. Yeah. Luton yeah. have got a crummy, as you said, a crummy old stadium. Been talking about redeveloping since 1958. And they're in a very similar place. They've got it. They, they're going to build it on a on a brownfield site. But there's an enabling development on the edge of the town. And that's got to work as well. And the two yeah. things have got to happen in sync to provide the cash to do it. I think, yeah, I think probably is probably the right time to sort of like dip into the fan questions at this mm. point because mm. what we've done is we've we've sent a question out saying who wants to ask John a question really um and a few of them were about the stadium as you could probably probably imagine yeah. um so the first question that, that got sent to us about the stadium was all this talk about upgrading Bellevue will it really happen or just another red liquor paint been here too many times before that, oh. that was the first one <laughs> I, absolutely I, I when um when we announced that we were putting the planning application in, and I know we've been talking, you know, we bought the freehold and then we put the planning application in, and I held off doing that and putting that in until we were ready to do it. And and I knew, and I knew what the reaction from some people would be, um, because it would be my reaction, right? So this is not, it's, well, I'll believe it when I bloody see it, you know? And When I'm stood in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah me too, and me too, guys, me too, stood or even sat in it. I'll absolutely believe it when, it, when I see it. And I've heard it all before. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it all before as well, as many times as as, as most people. Um, <clears throat> but your question is, will it happen this time? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say clearly yes. I've got to believe that, haven't I? Really? But otherwise, <laughs> because if I don't believe it, then nobody else will. But I do. I think you know there is. It, it's very complex. It's having this other, yeah. you know, this other plot, new market, and all that, and all that history, which isn't helpful. Yeah. But it is history. It, it can't. We can't change that. It's happened. We've had to get over a lot of you know, bad feeling from the past and all that sort of stuff and emotion. Um, but all you can do is get over it and move forward. So we've had to do that. And it, it, it does make it a very complex transaction. COVID has not helped. You know, no. Sources of finance that might have been available are now not as a result of COVID or it's further down the line and so yeah. on. So we've had to scale back how we're doing it. But and we're having to be really smart, I think. Well, I'm not saying we are really smart. We're having to be really smart. <laughs> at how we spend the money because there'll be yeah. and we don't quite know what the pot of money will be there's going to be some investment that the club is going to make as well it's not all external money as i've as i've indicated uh, it's not it's not debt um you know that's not sensible we, we've got debt because we took debt from the council to buy the freehold in the first place yeah that's enough you know that's under control we know where we are with that yeah. so you know there's going to be limited money and we've got to spend it really wisely um 
it's it's but it's far more than liquid paint it will be a new east stamp you know yeah it'll be a knock it down and rebuild a new one so uh we've said that and that's you know we've got a, a detailed design that needs to yeah. get more detailed and we're into the how are you going to do it you know what is under the ground we've had drilling on that how do you get all them you know you've got to get the the, the drainage right you've got to get the electricity the utility the services in before you put a nice car park down on top of it you know you've got all that digging up and so on that's to get the east stand right um we want to do a makeover on the north terrace because as we know some of that terracing's been there a long time and it needs yeah. it needs it needs to look a bit better um but that's going to be a standing area and it's going to look it's going to look and feel better um and then we're going to do some stuff with the rolling shack building or call it in the corner turn that into a community facility there'll be community changing rooms in there and, and all the stuff there'll be a bit of club retail coffee that sort of stuff um not completely firmed down on plan for that but you know the priority is get the east stand built provide two and a half thousand seats do that do the do the north stand at the same time and then do the floodlights and the pitch yeah, I mean, just a, just a quick one as well. What's what's the capacity looking like? Do you know when once it's all done, what, yeah, what sort well, of capacity? In theory, once it's all done, it'll be around about 9,000, I think, to the nearest 1,000. Yeah. Might be a bit more, might be a bit less. I mean, again, that will firm up when, when it's finished and the yeah. safety authorities decide how many you're allowed to have there. I mean, it'll be because of the current, you know, new 21st century regulations, people will say, oh, you could get more in there. Yes, you could. But there'll be two and a half thousand seats. That's, yeah. There won't be more than that. That'll be what that is in the right in the east, and then it's how many you get on the north and the west. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. It was just a quick one that popped into yeah. head. That one. Um, just, sorry, sorry, just to jump back on. a bit. Yeah. If I'm right, the, the plan for the pitch where it was going to be like an, an astroturf, Windows Viking style pitch. If I'm right in saying that, when it first no. came out, I no, want. No. Is that is that right? Am I right in saying that? No, no, I, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want the phrase astroturf, and I wouldn't want the, and I wouldn't want witness Vikings in there at all. <laughs> um, I think I don't know what witness. I've been to witness a couple of times with the new, with their new pitch and their redeveloped ground um, back in the day. Um, yeah. But no, it, I mean that was a long time ago that they put that down. I think they've put a new one down since. What we'll be putting down is what they call a 4G, fourth generation, not a 3G pitch, a 4G pitch. I mean, what does that mean? It just means it's the next generation. Yeah. It'll be in the little bit the latest. Um, artificial surface that you can put down, which is miles better and miles yeah, yeah. different, and is designed for rugby. It'll be similar to the training pitch at Dewsbury that we use. Ah. Right, okay. I don't know what well, you know. I mean, next to Dewsbury's new ground, as yeah. I'll call it, there's this training pitch, and it'll be like that or better. And what I'm told is that you you know you have shock pads underneath the the surface, so it, it's different to if you were going to play football on it. You can play football on it. Yeah, but it's designed for rugby, such that it takes the impact. And so, so it's the latest cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's not. It's not going to be park grass hybrid, where you have yeah. to put sand down and so on. We've we've looked at that and the economics of that and what that costs to maintain. Mm. You know, doesn't make it right for us. I mean, what this is what this has got to do with us, apart from you know bringing us up to twenty first century, it's got to produce us with a facility that we can use. I'm not saying twenty four seven, but we can use outside of yeah that, that's kind of what i wanted to touch on because obviously that's a big part of the the, the redevelopment it's got yeah. to be not only for the club but it's got to have some sort of public use as well and that's what helps keep that money flowing it, it's for the community it, it's got to be yeah. for the community that's why the funds have been made available yeah um and that's the basis on which we're going forward and it's yeah. also the basis in which we can make some money for the club yeah yeah because i mean we've got this massive asset there 
this big stadium with this land and, and so on. <clears throat> and we use it in anger 14 times a year. Yeah. On 14 Sunday afternoon, shall we say, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's not a really very good economic... I mean, no, I've no. been in business a long time. That's not a great, great use of an asset, is it? No, so no, we've got no, to find no. a way of using that facility, whether it's the pitch or the, or the stand or the banqueting suites or the, the gym facilities or whatever it is, on other days and as much of other days as we can yeah, and with yeah. the current grass pitch you just can't do that i mean we can't yeah. we can't get anybody else on there because it's because it isn't uh, state-of-the-art irrigation we can't get an, in the summer we can't when it's hard we can't get enough water on it um you know we can't get the host pipe on enough to keep it from being bone hard and in the winter it turns into a bog and um, yes. so that's why we've you know we, we didn't take the, the decision to dig up the grass lightly i mean it, it goes against you know principles of you know the the history of the club and all the yeah, famous yeah. deeds on that turf it goes against my grain on that. but you can't afford that sort of sentiment yeah. frankly in the in the 21st century if you want a sustainable club going forward and once you've got yourself over the fact that it's perfectly possible and actually fine to play on yeah, yeah. the yeah. surfaces that people play rugby on across the world and and we have talked to the players and the coaches you know, and if if chairs and the and the coaches and the players had come back and said, really don't do that, we would we wouldn't have done it. Yeah, if they'd yeah. said absolutely over our dead body, should you put this little bit of the death of playing proper rugby, um, we wouldn't have done it. But yeah. it isn't that, and we can do it. We, you kind of mentioned it before about the the recent history around Newmarket and everything like that. One of one of the other questions that we got was assuming that stage one happens as planned and everything mm-hmm. goes to spot on. It was stated that the new stand development has financial input from York Court. Uh, how can we trust them to deliver on their financial impact import input? Sorry, with their previous track record. So, th- so this is so York Court are the developer who, you know, I believe I wasn't here, but we were in discussions with previously. There's um, been plenty said about York Court. Yeah, we'll, so we know we'll, who they we'll are. They are the joint. They are fifty percent of a joint venture with a construction company called a construction and development company called Henry Boot PLC, who are the counterparty to this or the, the party that we're dealing with. So right. it's not just your court. I know that's used in shorthand. Um, and so the question is, how can we be sure they're going to deliver? The answer is you're going to have to kind of trust us on that. that yeah. We will ensure that they do deliver <laughs> and that it will be, and that it will be, it will be tied down before an agreement is signed. Planning is granted. A pl- agreement is signed. We, you know, our job is to do all the right things to make sure that happens. Can I guarantee it? I can't guarantee anything in life because um, things happen, you know. Um, but, you know, I didn't think we'd be still talking in a pandemic at this point and no spectators. When we started out on this journey, you know, we're a year later than we should be in having, you know, in, in, in terms of where we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we have planning in. They've got a planning application in. They're going to be heard in June, I believe. We don't have a date, yeah. per se. It'll be whatever the planning meeting, hearing meeting is in June. We have a, we have regular meetings with the council. We have one tomorrow, whatever day that is. In the, it'll, that'll have happened by the time that this yeah. goes out. <laughs> uh, but we do have a meeting, uh, you know, a, a Zoom meeting with the council tomorrow, Michael and I. Um, and I have regular dialogue with um, the people at uh, York Court, Stroke Henry Boot. I had a conversation two days ago uh, with, with with one of those guys. Um, and we're talking to them and we're talking to contractors and so on. We're in getting into the detail of how it's going to happen. Yeah, that's um, good. So, but but I can't, you know, not the only can guarantee anything in life, but we are, 
you know, and I, I hope you can hear the determination in my voice. We are determined. Yeah, to make this yeah absolutely. And I think for the first time in like our our lifetimes, man, man and dance especially, it feels like um, the club's finally being run by people that want to try and progress it and not just want to throw money at a team and try and do it that way. They want to do it the proper way, and and that's how it feels from yeah, our yeah. from my perspective anyway. Yeah, I think I think Phil Seymour kind of echoed that as well when we had him on. He said oh, yeah, in, yeah. in the time he's obviously he's been at the club yeah. longer than most and he said yeah. in my time I've been at the club I've never known it be so well run and the people that are invested and involved now actually want it to do well and he said that I've not always kind of got that vibe in the past so yeah. when it's coming well, from people like Phil I think it, well, that, it, that's brilliant to hear that's brilliant to hear I mean what I would say to that is what I can assure you is that Michael and I who had never met well, I suppose crack it, 2014, but we've not known each other that long. We're not lifelong yeah. friends and so on, but we are good friends. Um, I would say from my perspective, he and I are in this for the same reason. It's about maintaining the club, uh, building sustainability into this club, very conscious that it's almost 150 years old as a club. And we talk often about the next 150 years, which none of us are going to see, right? No. None of us will be there. <clears throat> Um, and you know, I won't see the next 50 probably, but it's about as we move into that, you know, it's about, it's been here a long time. We're determined to preserve it. It is, the club is the the face of professional sport, never mind professional elite sport, because we could say we're elite, we're in the Super League, in Wakefield. And yeah. there is nothing else. Yeah. Um, so that's really important because it keeps Wakefield on the map. We both care about Wakefield, me definitely, and, and just like you guys being, being from there. Um, but it's also about um, the community and the youth of Wakefield. We both have a passion, Michael in particular, for um, the health of young people. And you know, with a youngish family himself, we've both got teenage kids. Um, not wanting to, you know, wanting kids to be outside throwing a ball about or just getting outside and running about rather than sitting in front of a, a PS4 all the time, if you know what I mean. And yeah. you get into issues like, Childhood obesity, obesity, well-being, health—you know—all stuff that's been a problem in this pandemic. But but he's there anyway. Um, you know, he tells me Wakefield ain't in a good spot in terms of its rates of childhood obesity. Obesity. So we're keen to get kids out throwing a ball around, or kicking a ball around, or doing something—you know—in yeah. the outdoors and and certainly exercise. So the club embodies that. You know, that's why the club's there, and that's why the found the foundation, the community foundation that sits as the independent charity that sits alongside the club is there doing a lot of the stuff that it's doing. You know, I mean, at the moment it's big feed and it's, you know, contributing to stuff that needs doing in the short term in the community, but longer term, that's about bringing kids through going into schools, yeah. working with schools and, uh, and, and junior clubs as well. Um, and that, that's why we're in it for Wayfield. But at the same time, the balance is keeping that elite team at the super league table. So I've, I've said for a number of years, it's very, it's very simple. It's having a super league t- club, based in Wakefield on a sustainable basis. Yeah. So keeping the Super League, being that elite level, keeping Wakefield, don't take it somewhere else, um, you know, franchise FC, all that sort of thing. <laughs> don't take it somewhere yeah. else um, and make it sustainable. So it's, it's here as we pass yeah. it on. So then, you know, cause we, and we see ourselves, okay, we're the owners, we're kind of the custodians of it. You know, we will pass it on to somebody else at some point. Um, you know, it's, it's, and we're not in it. And we'd be fools if we were, if we were in it to make money. We'd be complete fools. Yeah, you, don't don't pay, you don't pay rugby for making money. <laughs> I mean, there are people who think they can. Don't get me wrong, but 
they ain't here in Wakefield, you know. It's, no. um, yeah. so, so we're not in it to make lots of money, but we're not in it to lose money. And that's the philosophy. You know, old fashioned, you don't spend money you haven't got. You know, if we haven't got the money for the player, we don't sign the player. Yeah. If we say to I mean, a player, that's all we've got, that's all we've got. Just just sort of like you already mentioned like the future generations and it's something that you and you and Michael care about. And I'm kinda of going on a bit of a tangent here and, and loosely linking it to the next question. Um and if and when we're allowed back into Bellevue, uh, will the club be looking to do match packages, i.e. five home games instead of a full season purchase? Because I think a lot of fans that haven't bought season tickets yet are holding off because they still don't know when yep. when they're going to be back in. And whatever anyone's opinion on that, whether you should be giving money to the club or not, it's, it's still a tough time for a lot of people. Yep. Is that something that the club are looking to do compared to different years in the past? I'm, I'm sure we will be. I'm, yeah. I'm sort of kicking for touch slightly in that it's not something that I have been thus far involved yeah. in the detailed discussion of. So I can't tell you, yes, we've discussed that. I can tell you that I think that would make every sense. I mean, the, the big picture is we're so grateful for the support of people who have put their money in last year for their seasonal pass, for their membership, as we'd like to call it, because we'd like to think when somebody buys a pass, a season ticket that they're actually becoming a member of the club and it's it, it's a club that you're a member of that's what you do with clubs you, you join them and and we'd like to we'd like to treat people in that way and we're so grateful for their support because we recognize now we recognize last year it was tough but it, it was money that you'd already the people had already spent yeah and it yeah. was like well we, that's already gone and okay i'm not seeing the games i'm i can see them on tv if i can get access to sky or whatever our league or whatever so um, so very grateful for that, but we recognise it's a different step this year to put your hand in your pocket and spend your money on something that you don't even know you're going to get, um, yeah. and, and it's not going to start at home, you know, on the 26th of, of March when it is. So, <clears throat> so we get that. Michael tells me, I think he said publicly, you know, a thousand people or so have generously done that. Uh, I bought my season ticket because you yeah. know I thought I would. I always like to buy my own and my family season ticket. That's that's what I do. Um, I, I don't ask who else does it, but I do it. Um, so that's good, and and we've, you know, we're really grateful for the people who've done that. But we recognise a lot of people are holding off, and, and and rightly so. Now, we don't know when that first game is that we're going to be able to play with any sort of crowd, and when when it is, how many, you know. Um, it might be the whole KR game in May, I think. That's that's the first one where it's supposed to be. If things I think that's when it's plan. supposed to be in it after yeah. the, you know, assuming that everything goes, everybody bloody well behaves themselves and. Yeah, you know, doesn't think that it's all over because they've had a vaccine. Like I've happily had one, you know. Everybody yeah. steeps, you know. Wakefield, I, I look avidly at the uh, the daily numbers, you know, the COVID numbers. How many per hundred thousand? Now, down where I am at the moment, speaking to you, it's about twenty-two in a hundred thousand. Wow. <laughs> Wake, Wakefield's hundred and thirty odd. <clears throat> so there's something not happening in Wakefield that's happening down here. I'm not, you know, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, you know, and I'm I'm coming to Wakefield tomorrow. I've no problem with that, but. Um, so people have got to, you know, do the right thing for society and for each other. If yeah. we do that, then the government will follow the, the timetable they've set out. I don't know why they call it a roadmap, because there's no road involved, it's a timetable. And they follow that timetable, then we should get people in. Um, sure, we, you know, we'll give priority to people who've already bought a ticket. I think that's fair. Um, yeah. But we've got to be creative, because we then we'll know how many games we've got to, to do. And, you know, I just want as many people in as possible. I, yeah. I don't see us doing a Huddersfield... And so no, no, I'm I, free almost. Um, I can't believe that. To be, and we know why. Obviously, Ken's Ken Davis got a lot of money, but I was looking at it and I was seeing a lot of praise for Huddersfield, and I was thinking, yeah, but 
Oh, right, if they're getting the fans in, are the same fans going to pay full season ticket prices in a couple of years' time? When, yeah, when it, changes? I, I mean, it's, it feels it, false it, to me. Do you know what I mean? People tell me, um, and I don't know for certain, but I, I hear stories that if there was, you know, there have been times at Wakefield where tickets were given away to get mm. people through. And I don't believe in giving things away, actually. Um, I mean, as presents, yes, and, you know, there, there's, there's an occasion for gifts. But doing it wholesale, I think, kind of cheapens your product. You know, if you really believe you've got a great product and a great game and something that's worth coming to pay, then people will pay for it. And yeah. and, and they don't mind paying for it if they enjoy it. If it's crap, then, then they won't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, there's limits to that. And, you know, you don't price it at £50 a throw like, you know, Premier League football. Um, but, <clears throat> and, and arguably that isn't very good value. But um, so, so there's a balance to be struck here. And, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll form a view and do that. Because I do want... It really does is important that we get lots of people through the turnstile. It's very tempting to give tickets away and say, "Oh, look at the size of this crowd! Isn't it brilliant? Yeah. The players love it. It's a full house." Yeah, but that, that's, that's temporary, as you say. They, are they going to come back next year? Because you're not valuing it. It's just like, yeah. "Oh, yeah, well, it's free. I might as well go." Yeah, yeah. I suppose like touching on that as well uh, with, with the fans, I guess. Hmm. When support, obviously, last year wasn't the best to really watch I guess we'd say yeah when supporters are airing the frustrations on Twitter and, and you'll have seen it as, as well as yep. we have do the board see this and do they sort of like understand where the fans are coming from or is it a case that well I, I, yeah, I think I think that's probably the best way to phrase that question yeah I, I mean I, I can't speak for every member of the board I'm not sure everybody's on Twitter or I, I'm on Twitter people probably know I'm on Twitter uh, I use it as a as a broadcast, uh, I use it first of all as a as an entertainment for me. I don't just mean the Wakefield stuff. I mean just stuff I watch and look at, follow. And just, that's you know, it's interesting. We, we all do, I think, to an extent. Yeah. Our timelines. I use it sparingly. I don't seek to, and I avoid getting into discussions about it. Um, I'll take a direct message, and if it's sensible, I don't mind. But I don't want to get into public discussions. I don't think that's the right thing for the chairman to do. Because uh, I don't think that ends well. Um, just my personal view. People can disagree, but I, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, if I don't answer a question that's posed to anybody, don't take offence. It's not personal. I just I don't want to get into that because uh, I haven't got time, frankly, to, to do that. I, I'm very happy to take questions. I'm happy to do this. I'm to do fans forums and so on. Love interacting with fans, but I don't think I don't think Twitter's the way to do it. But yeah. <clears throat> so yes, I do read, um, and I and I. I browse the forum, as people may or may not know. I'm, I'm not on the forum. You won't find me making comments, but you'll. But I'm, I'm from time to time aware of what's said on that as well. So, but I don't do Facebook because I just never have, and so no. you know, you're safe on Facebook because I'll never read it. Um, I think, but but so so we do listen. So your question, I must answer your question. So we're aware of it, um, but I'd like to think that. Uh, you know, and we went through that tough time last year, and there was the criticism of the team and of the coach. Um, in particular, and then it culminated with the, you know, the what's by now infamous um, uh, yeah. false story in the Wait, national press. Wakefield um, treated his best mate, uh, Jeremy Cross. He's yeah, absolutely. Did, a, a great, did, you know, you, you tell you can tell a story now and say oh, he did a great favour. The time it didn't feel like that, and it was, no. and when people print things that are not true, it's it's not very nice, and it's particularly not very nice for the individuals involved. It wasn't nice for chairs and so on, but yeah. the board. We have to take a broad view of this, and we have to we have to believe that we're closer to what's actually going on. 
um, and what's the circumstances in which the coach and the players are operating. Yeah. Last year, if we deal with last year, um, that COVID thing made a massive Im- impact that we couldn't always talk about. So when somebody was tested positive, you couldn't say player X has tested positive. We weren't allowed to, right? But of course, it wasn't just player X. It was player you know, Y, Z, P, Q and R who happened to have been in the same training bubble or in the same car, getting yeah. a lift to the game or, or something like that. Now, were people always taking every precaution they could have taken? Were any of us? Probably not, yeah. right? So, yeah. but, but what it meant was that the coach, Jez, he was he wasn't choosing a team every week. He was working out which seventeen he could he could and um, which slots he was going to put them into. Yeah. And people go, well, why hasn't so and so played? You know, why hasn't Jay Pitts played for three weeks? Well, Jay had about two or three situations where he happened to be somewhere near somebody who tested positive, and it was what one after the other. And and some of the you know the testing you know there were false positive tests like there are today. So you couldn't always rely on the test, but you didn't know, and you had to wear on that side of safety and. You know, the regulators said you had to do that as well. Public Health England were involved. Um, it, it was really tough. So I would just say the reason we didn't have relegation last year, nothing to do with Toronto, because that decision was taken before the, the whole Toronto fiasco. So perhaps we should, we should or shouldn't go. But anyway, um, I don't know anybody's asked about that. But before that, we decided it wasn't going to be a season with integrity on the field because of the impact of COVID. Yeah. And, and it, you know, this season hopefully won't be the same, but last season was. So I give everybody a break last year. Yeah. And say, you know, I think we came, we came back strongly when we got more like, you know, more like we had a choice of who to pay, play at yeah. the end of the season, didn't we? I think I think a big thing last year as well, and you know, I, I I'll sit here and admit that I tweeted some stuff that I wish I'd never tweeted out of pure frustration after sitting at home watching a game, and I, I said this to to James Batcher as well. I think when you're in the terraces, you can kind of vent that frustration mm, when mm. you're there. But at home, you can't really, you, do, you know, well, I mean, you can, you can stand and shout on the TV if you want, but it's, you might look <laughs> a bit daft if your neighbour across the road is watching. But, yeah. So the natural place you go is you get your phone out and go, right, I'm going to jump on Twitter and I'm going to yeah. say some stupid stuff. And I'll sit now and admit, I think I probably tagged you some of the stupid stuff I said. Yeah, and well, a few days later, I've looked back and thought, you, what are you tweeting that for, you Muppet? I mean, I mean you're spot, spot on, Danny. I, I, I get what you say completely. It goes back to that point about it, people really caring and it really hurting when things go badly. Yeah, and the yeah. frustration we all feel, and we all feel it. And and you're right. When you're in the on the terraces, you can shout, and, and that, that's an issue sometimes when you're chairman. But you know, you, and, and when I was a kid, I used to shout some terrible things. Terrible yeah. things. Like, Dad used to give me a right telling off for you know, you know, using words I shouldn't have used when I was a teenager. But so you but you can get it out. You know, there's something yeah. about anger, and you get the anger out, and you've done it. And you're absolutely right. When you're sitting at home like we are now, you know, it's. We've all done bloody well, I think, to get through this as best we can. Uh, but it's it's one of the things that we haven't always thought through. That you know, how do we get that frustration and anger out? Um, so yeah, so I'm, there's no blame to anybody, and and everybody's absolutely entitled to their opinion. And if they didn't have a pin, an opinion, they wouldn't care, and yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be what it is. You know, I love yeah. people with opinion as long as they're prepared to when they calm down and stop and listen to somebody else's opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. As I would hope I do, <laughs> but I, I get as passionate as anybody, so yeah. I get you completely. Don't worry about that. So. Yeah, I think to be honest as well, I think Amy would be uh, a bit annoyed at me if I didn't bring up the fact that um, everything has been done so well by the club in terms of broadcasting. She'd, she'd go mad if I didn't mention that. So I thought I thought you were going to bring uh, Bishop. Oh, <laughs> you, you, was going, you were going to have a rant about Bishop not getting a contract. Yeah. Well, we'll get well, into, she, we'll get she into might new have done. signings. Yeah, 
That's 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 really why she's not able to. Watch. Yeah, she's just so pissed off. Yeah, she's watching. She's watching uh, York and all tonight. That's what it is. Yeah, wearing his kit, probably. Yeah, <laughs> in scrum as well. Still, um, still, still unwashed. <laughs> no, he's um, yeah. Might as well get into the sort of the contracts and, and not specific contracts, but uh, re- recruitment and retention. How hard has it been to put a squad together this off season? Um, again, question really for Michael because that's something he does and I don't yeah. do. Although you know he consults with me all the way through, and I, I, tell, I think I know everything that's going on. Obviously, I don't know what I don't know, but <clears throat> um, you know sometimes like the other week, I read um, I read Dave Fifita was going to the NRL. Um, yeah, Penrith <laughs> apparently. And yeah. so I, I was convinced it was the other day for Fita, but apparently it wasn't the other day for Fita. But God knows, you know, it's like, um, and, and it was a bit like when we read uh, that, um, oh, goodness, uh, Chase Stanley, that, you know, he was in advanced talks. And I texted Michael and said, we're in advanced talks then. He said, no, apparently, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, so, <clears throat> so no, but I think Michael, uh, you know, shares most things with me. So I would say in a way it's not been so difficult because, Actually, having got everybody got through last season and got everybody fit, um, and I know this is going to sound like, well, I said this last year and I sort of said this the year before probably, we have got a, actually a very good squad that have yeah. been on on contract and we haven't had a lot of people, fish excluded, right? We haven't had many people who've dropped off contract. You know, the people who've been on, we've tied up people like Bill, Reese, Big Dave, and, and so the bits of business we had to get done, we knew we had to get a new contract for Kalepi. And yeah. so that was, that's not signing a new player, but it's it's keeping a squad together because, you know, you would know there were people who wanted Kalepi. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, for me, he's, he's the number one player for us. Yeah, and, and that was our so number one action at, as we came to the end of the season. We knew that, you know, we're not completely stupid. We knew we had to do that. We knew we needed a halfback and we went and, and got the one we got, uh, Mason. Um, what's, and, I, I don't know how much you've seen of him, John, but what's, what's your thoughts on Mason so far? I haven't seen anything of him, I'm afraid. Because oh. <laughs> so, I haven't been up. I haven't been up to Wakefield since. I mean, I've seen little clips. Um, yeah. And I, but I, what I've heard is settled in great. Um, what people have told me, settled in great. Obviously, a bit of a, a bit of a shock when he came into the... He did turn up in shorts, apparently, in that really cold spell. <laughs> when Michael, I think Michael went and met him at Manchester Airport and uh, with his family, I think, and he was in shorts. But hey... Um, but no, I, I hear a really good lad. I mean, he's he's all that we um, were told he was going to be. You know, we we got reports on him, and you know, Ches knows people who know people, and people who played alongside him. I'm trying to remember the name of the um, just Morgan. What's his name? Um, lad who we played with at um, Newcastle, I think. Uh, Sorry, it's the name of the tip of my tongue. Anyway, we, whatever it was. So we we got him on good authority, and we'd watch stuff and so on. So um, we thought we'd got a good. Um, and, and again, a good lad. Um, which I know is a bit of a, a bit of a phrase, but it means something. You know, somebody who will fit in and be part of, yeah. be part of what, what the culture that we are. Um, really, so important that togetherness that we that we have to have at Wakefield. Yeah. Um, and and it, that not siege mentality, but that sort of thing. So I mean, out of the halfback, and then Eddie was was clearly. I mean, we all know. It was doing the countdown. I don't know, but it was, um... it was, it was. You know what? It was me at first. I started the thing, and then everyone started jumping on it, and I jumped. <laughs> I, I dropped off, and then the uh, did, yeah, did yeah. the tweets, so, and he didn't remember mine. Oh, oh, I can't believe this. I mean, we we, we knew because we knew Eddie because he was, you know, someone we knew absolutely because he played with us, and we knew what yeah. a what a good player and a good attitude and all the thing good things about him. So we knew we needed him, but that just took a bit of time to get the negotiation with the other with the with London. 
um, yeah. which wasn't easy. And um, but but we got there. And so uh, in a way, you know, I was watching on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, give us some new. Tell us your signing, Eddie. I will. I will do when I get there. <laughs> we were confident for we were confident for about two or three weeks, knowing yeah. that we would it would get there. But we you don't say until it's done, you know. No, and do you know what we we knew that. We kind of we kind of had an idea that you were going to go after him as fans. Like we had an yeah, idea, yeah. like they wanted to keep him, and we just thought, you know what, we'll, we'll have a bit of fun with this. We'll, yeah, we'll that, was, that was great. That, that was great, and uh, <laughs> so and, and it did help. You know, it did help. It helped with him because you know he absolutely knew that he was going to be loved um, at Bellevue, and let's hope he yeah. is. And you know, the people get down to see him, and yeah. uh, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen, but um, so, so we we thought. You know, we we'd re- they were replacement players. We knew we'd do something on the wing. We've got you know we've got um, Innis there as well as Liam now and and, and Lee. So um, you know we've got cover there. Um, so we, there wasn't a big building job to be done. This you know you'd like yeah. to think oh we're signing lots of players, but actually I'm quite compared to somebody I don't know like say Hulk KR who signed so many players. I mean that must putting that That's team together. Yeah, we can't hard. We we've got a team that already is together. Once Mason's integrated. Um, you know, hey, you know, I mean, yeah. what is there to do? We, this is a team that should, you know, famous last words, touching wood here, should hit the ground running. Um, and when we when we signed Mason, just going back to him, was mm. it harder to sign him given because of COVID? Because you kind of say you leave your basically normal life in Australia and come live in lockdown for a period of time. Was was yeah. that something that came came into it? I, I don't I don't recall that being a problem. You know, actually, he he wanted. I guess, I mean, I don't know that much about it, but it doesn't usually stop me talking on any subject, but it, um, he wanted first-team football. He knew yeah. he would get that with us, you know, yeah. subject to him, you know, delivering some goods, you know, yeah. kicking yeah. some goals and all that sort of thing. But, <clears throat> and so I think that was more important to him. Um, and, and I think he equally had had good reports about us and about the club and how it was and the spirit yeah. and all that. And it, it, was a, it was a good move. But you're right. I mean, who in the right mind would leave um, Australia... <laughs> Yeah. kind of controlled through some pretty strict lockdowns, but they've controlled COVID yeah, yeah. and played in front of crowds to come here, particularly at the time of year it was. You know, but, hey, yeah. and, you um, know, maybe we just lied well to him and told him. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the day we're recording this, it's, it's the start of the NRL season this yeah. morning. I, I was watching that and I was I was very jealous. I've got to be honest. I was watching it thinking, you gets, you we all the mm, crowd in. I was mm, like, oh, mm. it's not mm. fair. But... <laughs> We'll be back soon, I hope. Um, yep, yep. There are only a couple of questions left, really. Uh, I don't want to keep you all night. Okay. Uh, is there any room in the budget for extra players coming in? Um, I... should, we need, should we need them? Sorry. Well, yeah, it's a good... Both parts of that question are, in, are important. Um, you kind of go... We, we're happy with the squad we've got because we've got 30... Ish, I can't tell you. It's 31, 32 players, yeah. all of whom, particularly after last year, and the way that some of those youngsters performed, not you know you don't uh, mash. Mark Applegat said to me, you know, you don't become, you might be a great young player, but you don't turn up on into a Super League game against St Helens and suddenly immediately slot in. Yeah, you need yeah. to play a game. You have a game off. You come back. You look at somebody like Jack Croft. He plays a few games. And then people say, why have we left him out? You leave him out because he needs a rest from that and he comes back yeah. stronger. All the great players have come through slowly. This is what I'm told by you know, people unless, who know more about this than me. Unless the name's Tom Johnston and then he's then he hits the floor. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe there are some exceptional players. Yeah. No, and, and Tom's an exceptional player. There will be some exceptional players. Yeah. But, you know, generally, it, it's a... 
and it's the sort of team you come into. You come into a winning team at Saints or Wigan, it's a bit different. Yeah. Because, you know, you can be looked after. You can come on when the game's won and all that sort of thing. Whereas at Wakefield, you don't tend often to come into a game that's already done and dusted. You're yeah. coming on because we've got a problem. Or you're starting because we've got a, you know, we, we're short of players and so on. So, so, but anyway, the point being that those lads who come through, you really acquitted them, Harry Bowes, um, you know, all, I mentioned Crofty, all sorts of players who, who came through and that did really well. Um, we've, we, we've got a decent squad. We've got a good squad. You're always a bit nervous. What you don't know is what injuries you're going to suffer. And I don't want to go back to talk about 2019, but you know what a disaster of yeah. a season that yeah, was yeah. from a position sitting, really. sitting third, you know, and playing well at Hull to have Tom do his, his ACL and then Bill go off in the same game. Two or three weeks later, T goes off. Matty's got his problem with his back, which is always a serious thing. And suddenly we're in, you know, we're in peace. Dave, Dave, you know, gets trodden on or whatever at, um, at Magic and we're in pieces, aren't we? Um, yeah. So you don't know what's going to happen there. So you're always saying, well, what's our cover like, you know, and have we got enough cover? So I suspect it, there is, and the other part of the question is, yeah, there is a little bit of money around, yeah. Um, we've got a bit of, bit of spending power. Not a lot, but this, it's probably a case of just seeing if the right person became available. We knew who we wanted. We knew what sort of player we wanted in the case of a halfback. We knew we wanted Eddie. Um, uh, Innes became available as well. So we thought that was, you know, we'd had a good yeah. experience with him. Very young lad, but very quick. Um, mm, very quick. And uh, so, you know, so we added a few around that. And we've got all these, we deserve it to the lads who, you know, people like Max and so on, who've come through last year. You know, Geordie become an established player batch. We've talked about a number of times. You know, these lads who deserve their chance and have proved that they're good enough, that they can stand up in. And we'll need all of them. Joe's back. You know, Joe Arundel. Yeah. What, a, what a bonus he could be um, after really two really unlucky, two unlucky years with injury. So, um, there's a little bit, and we'll see what we'll see what's out there. We're not yeah. chasing anybody down, sadly, and that's uh, that wasn't that wasn't a pun. Is that, is that, is that a pun on Chase Stanley? That, that wasn't a pun on Mr. Stanley. <laughs> it was an intention. Um, you know, he, he was an he's an example of a player who looked like he was becoming available. And yeah, of course, we're interested. Quality player, we're interested in quality player can fill a number of positions. Although we're a little bit cautious about that these days. Um, you know, but absolute quality player. So why wouldn't we be interested? Yeah. But it, it wasn't it wasn't possible. Uh, there were a number of factors, including his, you know, relocation back down under and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Fair enough. I think we've pretty much wrapped up everything that we that everyone's asked and, and everything that really we wanted to ask, I guess. Yeah. Um so we'll end it on one final question. A bit of a nice easy nice easy one. Um the last question that we'll end the podcast with is what is your most memorable moment at Bellevue? Before I go into the last question, then, guys, um, just to say I've really loved this. Um, great to chat to you. I hope it's been of interest oh, and use, and it will be has, of interest yeah. and use to people. Absolutely, I hope yeah. A bit of a ramble. There's lots more we could have talked about, and uh, you know, if people like it, we could we could do it again sometime. Uh, always, as I say, always happy to engage with people. Talk about Wakefield Trinity Rugby League in general. Um, yeah. It's it's just it's part of the part of the game is talking about it, isn't it? But it's not as good as watching it, and we're going to be there. <laughs> Back there, um, you did give me advance notice of this question, guys. So uh, I'll be, I'll be honest, which, which was very <laughs> fair of you. And the the most memorable moment. I mean, I've covered the first time I went, which I think is something that people, if they go and they remember it, isn't something that they forget. Um, but I think I would have to go to the Cass game 
in 2006. If I'm yeah, uh, the miracle. Well, I, you know what? <laughs> Anyone that ever mentions that to me, I always get goosebumps instantly. <laughs> Whenever someone mentions that game to me, I just get them. I can't help it. And it, and it, it wasn't just the game; it was the build-up to the game, and it was because again, if I I may remember it badly, there'd been a game at Bradford where I wasn't, and we'd yeah. won. Yeah. And somebody else had lost. Cass had lost, I think, at Salford yes. somewhere. And, Salford there was, Cass, yeah. and the result was coming through. And I was watching on telly, right? So and it was like, oh. and I certainly was at Cass. We'd won at Cass, hadn't we? And the famous yeah. one would be with the plane and the yeah. you know, John Keir. Because what people won't appreciate listening to this, and I'm, I'm sloppy seconds for Monty Beethan tonight because uh, <laughs> it couldn't make it. So, I, don't know. I, I know you've got Monty as well, but I do remember Monty Beethan and... I remember him smacking that guy at the back of the scrum. <laughs> that was the one, wasn't it? And he got, oh, yeah. and he got sent off. Um, uh, do you know what? That was the that was the minute that I really loved Monty Beetham. Yeah, like, me too. He's, he's me top too. five players. You're right. You're right, Matt. And you know, and he and he, it wasn't just like one hit, was it? It was like he no. was having a right go at him. I was there behind the stick and um, thought, oh, he's going off here. <laughs> and, and it was more like he's going off, and this is a close game. I think we lost somebody else, didn't we? Sent off. Uh, Ned Ned Katic. Ned Katic, yeah, big lad. Yeah. yeah. So we, we finished with 11 men. How we won that, I don't know. But that was Tom Saxton, I think, scored. Or that, that, yeah. that winger, uh, James Evans. Yep. Evans, yeah, because he scored the yeah. tries in the, in the, was just in the in, pound game. That was just in front of me, yeah. Um, that open end. And um, yeah, that was a bit lively after the game as well, wasn't it? That's, anyway, that's what we won't go to. So, so there's the bill led to beat them at home. And um, yeah, and I was there. I know a lot of people say I was there. I was there. And I'd driven up for that game. That was 2006. And I was down the down the side on the Western Terrace at the end, because I think we must have played that way, saying that, you know, it was one of those yeah. we moved around and stuff. And, uh, and it's funny looking back, it was one of those moments at the end of the whistle, you get a pitch invasion, you know? And, and that was, you know, I don't, you don't come on the pitch, that's a bad thing to do, isn't it? And I, and I remember thinking, shall I come on the pitch? Oh, well, go on then, you know, I've never been on the pitch before. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, middle of the Western Terrace, you've got to climb up to get yeah. on, haven't you? And at my age, even then, you know, it was a few years ago, but I was still... I was like, oh, silly old fool trying to climb onto the pitch. Anyway, <laughs> I can go on. A, I can go on every day now if I want. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, a, that was a great memory, wasn't it? Yeah. No, it's, it's up there for me as well. Might as well just have a little bit of a chat about no. that as well. Now, that, that I was there as well. I think half a Wakefield yeah. were there. To be honest, mm. um, I remember being stood in the what's the bottom one called? Is it Cats? That's Cats Bar, isn't it? The bottom of the shit of the bedded on flats. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, Fox's bar. Yeah. Fox. Uh, yeah, I think it used to be Cat's bar. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where it was at the time. I couldn't anyway. afford to stand there, but go on. But yeah. there's, um, <laughs> I, I remember just watching this game, and, and they go ahead, and, and you think, oh no, mm. oh no, I don't like this. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Dimitri does that daft yeah. run where he runs through half of their team and, and gets the try, and uh, Monty Beetham scored in the second half, and and yeah. I was, I was like, oh this. We're not losing this. Once Beetham scored, I was like, "We're not losing this." I don't care yeah. what happens. Yeah. Um, and yeah, James Evans as well, another name from the past. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I was watching that game again the other day. It's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it just gives me every time I watch it, I just get goosebumps about it. Yeah, yeah but, I, I, that's right. I mean, it's um, and it and it's sort of symbolic of you know the way for the great Wakefield successes. Um, yeah. And, I, and I haven't, we haven't talked. We haven't mentioned the Yorkshire Cup of '92, which I did see as well. I was at Ellen Road that day, which was a, which was a you know a proper cup. Jeff Bagnell and and uh, Darren Fritz and people lifting the club the cup and so on. So we've had our, we've had a few moments, but not many. And, and most yeah. of our glorious moments have been avoiding. <laughs> and, and I was at, I was at Huddersfield for the Featherstone that 
playoff game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Francis Stevenson and all that. Um, but it's almost like the ones that stick in the memory are the great escapes. It's the million pound game, the cast yeah. game, whatever. Yeah. No, it's, it's, tell you what though, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, John. Um, we'll definitely have to try and get you on again and, and just have some chats about stories that you remember and and yeah. anything that we've missed off tonight, really, because I think yeah, sure. Be... You, you know, an old man like me, you, you bring <laughs> it brings back the memories when you start yeah. talking about it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, uh, it's been a real pleasure, guys. Like I said, and uh, uh, all the best to you and, and all of yours, and uh, and all the best to the people listening at the podcast. And yeah. you know, thanks again for the amazing support that you. Were, I know you because you're listening to this. You give amazing support to Wakefield <laughs> Trinity, and uh, you know, those of us in the club hope we can give something back and uh, and bring some success this season. Yeah. You never know. You've got to go into it positively. Absolutely. <laughs> Once again, thanks for listening to the Down at Bellevue podcast. We are currently running a giveaway in partnership with Iconic Sporting Highlights where you can win a fantastic rugby league print of your choosing. All you have to do is go into the description of this podcast, click the link to our Twitter feed, and all the instructions are there. This is only available until the 4th of April 2021 at 7pm, so if you are listening after this time, I'm afraid that I've just wasted your time. Thanks for listening to the episode once again and we hope to catch you in the next one.